Now my life will be yours. Wait, wait, wait. Keep your life a little longer. Don't leave me now. Listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. And you heard the sounds of Klaus Kinski breathing very heavy. Uh, goddamn. Uh, I, uh, this is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 244. And I'm your host, Lee. Time has no meaning in a life that never ends, Russell. And I am joined by my special guest host, Vaughn, High Priest of Putridity, Kuhlmeyer. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> What's up, dude? How you doing? <laughs> And we're we're doing one of the I'd say it's kind of like one of the lost dream, uh, lost gems of sort of like late period Euro trash uh-huh. <laughs> this time out. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of a hard film to come by a little bit, I think, for a few years. So, well, at least like the version that they presented in this. Mm. In this. Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to be looking at uh, Vampire in Venice, also known as Nosferatu in Venice. Which is the, uh, well, it really isn't, but they say the unofficial sequel to uh, Werner Herzog's remake of Nosferatu. The only real connection is that this has Klaus Kinski in it as well, and that's that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, we will get into the uh, interesting mess that this is this fucking film. I think there's a lot of shit to actually talk about with this one. Good and really, really bad. Glad, glad to have you back on here, uh, Vaughn. Yeah, thanks and, for having me. Yeah. And we should just jump right into what we've watched lately. So uh, I will throw over to you first. So about 10 minutes before I came on, like right before you sent the link out, we had, I just officially... Uh, rounded up my kind of like weeks of like i i I have like a projector and i have a screen that i invite my friends over and we watch movies in the backyard um not the best night to do it around here because it's fucking freezing (laughs) um but i showed everybody six string samurai so uh if you've never seen it it's a film from 1998 it's it's one of those films where it's like you have a writer, you have a director and an actor kind of just going hey we got the chance to make a a film Let's do everything we want and try to just throw it out there. 
and make mm-hmm. the film we want to make. So it's um, what's his name? It's Jeffrey Falcon, who's the uh, the main actor in that film. Who's kind of he like? I guess he was an he was a, like a a stunt guy in like like early kind of like no name fucking Asian action films okay. in the nineties. And then Lance Mangella, who uh, kind mm-hmm. of went on to make really nothing. He's I think the one other thing he's known for is that Crow um, Wicked Prayer. Another oh, one. God. Yeah. yeah. So, but this film was the film where they both kind of came together um, and kind of said, hey, let's make what we want to make. They wanted to make like some kind of samurai action kind of post-apocalyptic freak out. Um, That's what you get. You get this kind of Buddy Holly looking dude who is roaming the wastelands. Um, The world is kind of ravaged after a nuclear bomb hit from the Russians. Um, and Elvis is taken throne as the king of the world. <laughs> he's died, and so now they're looking for a new king. And he's in our and Jeffrey Falcon's character is roaming the wasteland and land, trying to get to Vegas so he can take the right pl- the the rightful place. Mm-hmm. Um, and just they kind of run into weird things. You know, they run into gangs of bowlers, uh, cannibalistic fifties families, death himself. Yeah. It's it's a great little film, right? And I was just like. I've been gung ho since the Vinegar Syndrome put it on Blu-ray because it was like a much needed upgrade uh, with my, within my collection, and I've been like, yeah, I want to do one more, want to do one more, and I was like, yeah, maybe the last first weekend in November will be like nice and kind of not as cold, which proven wrong because it's <laughs> like I said, like even though we tried, we had a fire going the whole nine yards, mm-hmm. you know, it's like. The true like stay outs, the true like kind of we're like, we need to have, we know we're going to have a fun time with one fucking show into some weird movie. So I was like, and I was like, I'm only showing one for, because first I know it's going to get cold and two, I have to do this. So it's like, it's like awesome. But I, I, I like I said, I really enjoy the hell out of the film. Uh, like I saw it was kind of one of those staples, like, um, like at the death end of like Hollywood, of like um, the mom and pop stores and when, Blockbuster mm-hmm. came in, and it was something we rented all the fucking time and showed everybody we knew. Um, <clears throat> so it was just nice to continue that with like a whole bunch of new people, especially like now that I have like a girlfriend and all her friends like are like, yeah, well, I'll come, and they all, you know, a bunch of them came. So it was nice to show the, those people who aren't particularly fans of like they watch like you know the average cooking normal film shit. So it's nice to show them something weird. Did you show them? <laughs> did you show them Night Beast? <laughs> no, I haven't. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be something on the board. I did show. I did show. Yeah, I did show a couple of my friends um, in early October Night Beast. Mm-hmm. Before I did that, uh, I did. Uh, I did it with um, Daniel Segura. Yep. Um, I guess you, you have you been talking to him? I, he, I, I, he, 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 he. I don't know if you heard. He wants to get us together and yeah. talk about an episode. So. Just expect everybody who listens to this show expect the two of us to fucking lambast that fucking Puerto Rican bastard mm-hmm. uh, at some point. Uh, <laughs> he was he was really shit talking Night Beast on the episode too. Oh I, was, I was like, how how are you not enjoying this? Day? He was shit be- talking Night Beast on that episode, and then the fucking repossessed episode because he mentioned mm-hmm. like, oh, I just I just watched a bad film before this, and I I had to text him and say, hey, dude, were you talking about mine? He's like, yeah, I just actually. Recorded your, our show and then went on and did their show. And I was like, shit, okay, fine. Yeah. Now it's worse than Repossessed, really? Okay. Sure. No. Calm no. down. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I showed them Night Beast a couple weeks ago. I did that with like, um, 
was it Bad Taste, the Peter Jackson film? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was a nice kind of mixed, like alien invasion films. And I was just kind of, we just couldn't figure out a day. Like everybody was so busy, busy, busy. And I was like, all right, first weekend in November, book it. Let's just, everybody, whoever wants to come, come. We're going to show one movie. And I've been kind of holding it off people when that, and I don't tell anybody. I kind of keep it to my, keep it close to my vest. Mm-hmm. Even my girlfriend's like, what are we showing? What are we watching? I'm like, you got to wait. And now she actually listens to the podcast, and that's how she finds out when I'm fucking showing. Because <laughs> she even said to me, she's like, you're showing this, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. How'd you know that? She's like, I listen to the show. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, I guess I'm not talking about the fucking ever again. I'm not talking about anything on the screen ever again. <laughs> that and, what is it? I've watched The Life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, my girlfriend's never seen it. And she was like, this looks interesting. It's like, yeah, let's go. Let's fucking watch it. Um, and I haven't watched it for a while, but it's definitely something like I'm a big fan of that film. That's my favorite Wes Anderson film. Uh, yeah. Actually. And the fact that like all the, all the, like the, um, like the, uh, the freaking miniatures and the special effects and the, the stop motion stuff done by Henry Selick. It's like, it's just a perfect, it's got of everything. Yeah. And it's got like a weird little kind of like Johnny quest vibe to it in a way. Yeah. Like maybe if Johnny quest grew up and became a fucking asshole, you know, yeah, kind like of. an alcoholic jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I just, I fucking love that scene where the pirates <laughs> take over the ship and he takes the ship back to yeah. ser- search and destroy play in. And right. like, yeah. And then they go and fucking take, they go and find where they are. And mm-hmm. that whole chaos where they're just chucking, they're chucking a, dynamite at them like the mm-hmm. fucking it's 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 wonderful yeah you know and, and it's like and it's it's everything kind of gets you there and it's definitely makes you even like shed a tear by the end of that film it's such a such a wonderful film and i like everything he's done so far i haven't seen the new thing he put out with uh the french dispatch because it kind of came and went here real quick because there's so much shit being mm-hmm. released right now so they're like oh we you know it just comes in and out so i didn't get a chance to watch it but I probably will get to see it. But I, I like most of Wes Anderson stuff. But like, yeah, definitely, uh, yeah. definitely, uh, you know, Life Aquatic is kind of high up there on with his films. So the whole cast, everybody who was in that film was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, oh, it looks interesting. And it's like, yeah, let's watch it. And she enjoyed the hell out of it. So I was kind of happy about that. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, I think I like that film the most because it just feels like he's having the most fun with that oh, yeah. one. It's, it's a little less... It feels a little less forced than some of his other stuff. And, yeah. You can, and, it's something like that kind of middle where he's just like, you know, he feels like he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, let's just, let's just do this. And it's wonderful. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. yeah we're coming for you, Daniel, by the way. I haven't forgotten about you. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess we have to pick the film, right? Uh, yeah, I told him if like I have an idea because it said he said it wants to do in December, and I said, "Well, I have an idea." But if you have any, like I told him, like if if you have any idea, I'll go with it because I know you, whatever you pick will be great. Because um, the stuff I pick normally for him, he kind of gets annoyed with. <laughs> so it's like I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm like, relax, dude. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not picking this fucking high grade shit that you're talking about every week. It's like I'm yeah. sorry. No wonder I'm on the show every six months because it's like, ugh. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You need, you need a, you need a bowel cleanse every once in a while, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it back down to fucking earth, Daniel. Yeah, right. On your on your pod moth fucking network and all this <laughs> shit. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, yeah, uh, I got a couple I'll mention that I watched. Um, okay. I watched uh, an eye for 
Eye for an Eye from 1966. Uh, this is a Western. It's starring Robert Lansing, who I'm not super familiar with. He's one of those guys where, like, I've seen his face in tons of shit, but I'm right. not familiar with his movie roles all that much. Okay. Um, it's also got Patrick Wayne, who's the son of John Wayne. Uh, probably his less talented son. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even a big. I'm not even a big fan of John Wayne, but like Patrick Wayne yeah. is definitely not his dad when it comes to acting. Um, uh, it's also got Slim Pickens in it. Uh, it's got huh. Strother Martin in it. So it's like they more than make up for Patrick Wayne. Definitely. Um, and this is actually a trivia note here, co-scripted by Kurt Russell's dad, Bing Russell. So yeah, yeah. Um, so. It's a good little revenge Western with a neat twist because like halfway through it, Robert Lansing and Patrick Wayne get maimed in a gunfight. So, so they have to like Patrick Wayne goes blind and Robert Lansing loses his gun hand. Basically he gets shot. So So now he has to be the eyes for Patrick Wayne when they finally do their fucking big uh, shootout with slim Pickens. Wow. Okay. And, and, And slim Pickens is just this, they pushed the boundaries of what they could do in 1966. He's right. an evil motherfucker. Like you never expect it from Slim Pickens. Like you kind of know. That's definitely a heel change because normally he's, from what like I know, is that he's kind of just kind of like either like the you know the the sidekick or mm-hmm. he's just the the kind of comic bad guy. Yeah. From what here he's here he's way serious. Like he feels like a real guy. Like just a three-dimensional character basically like he, he is he's still got the slim pickens voice and everything but he's dead huh. serious and everything he says and does like he starts out the movie he's getting revenge against Lo- robert lansing because he's a bounty hunter who's retired right. and he and so he gets revenge by uh with taking two of his uh underlings attacking robert lansing's home while he's away raping his wife wow and then shooting her and their kid you don't see that happen. Like it goes off screen, like they're in the room together and he just shoots into the room and smiles while he's doing it. Then oh, he sets God. the fucking house on fire. Holy so, shit. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? 1966. Okay. Um, but so yeah, Slim Pickens is a big baddie and they're hunting him down. And Strother hmm. Martin is this like Weasley. F- he's, he's probably playing the most Strother Martin-y role that Strother Martin's ever played. Where huh. He's just like the quintessential slimy, piece of shit guy who's playing both sides and like right. you know if you pay me enough money i'll give you the information kind of thing it's good it's pretty good it, it, it's it's good just because it's got some unique elements i've never seen in a western before so uh, especially especially the uh the system that robert lansing sets up to train patrick wayne to shoot where he tells him to shoot you know, it's like it's really kind of interesting. It sounds interesting, and I'm looking, I'm looking online, and he's the same guy who did was it the the fastest gun guitar in live? Uh, yeah, Michael that... D. Moore, and well, he did a fucking Elvis film called Paradise Hawaiian Style, hmm. and it's like, and it's the same year, like right '66. Mm-hmm. So he did that and fucking an Elvis film at the same year. It's like, uh, okay, it's definitely something to check out then, because it's yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah, fastest guitar is a fun film if you've never seen that one. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, have yeah, that. it's a fun little film. Um, but like, but that's like, uh, like what the fuck, really? Mm-hmm. It's like that's a, that's a nice switch. Um, yeah, because I'm always it's always a nice thing to see. Um, a guy like Slim Pickens kind of stretches stretches uh, his wings every once in a while when he actually gets to do something that's not what you're used to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And the other one I watched that I'll uh, also recommend here, uh, The Spine of Night from 2021. Uh, this is Yes, a, I've been, a lot of people have been talking about this in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this is a uh, sort of a throwback animated feature. It's rotoscoped, and I think they do yeah. the actual rotoscope process instead of like digitally doing it if right i know so like uh what is it baschke style like so yeah it's very rankin and bass ralph baschke like sort of school of animated features like fire and ice and like the lord of the rings hobbit films from the 70s um it is it's got a pretty good cast in it like it's got Patton oswald in it oswald in it in a in a brief uh role it's got uh, lucy lawless is like the main character yeah. um lots of good voice talent in it uh mm-hmm. i think anyone who likes sort of like heavy metal uh, the movie will kind of enjoy this when i saw stuff for it that's what all my league hit me was the original heavy metal film mm-hmm. i was like holy shit like, it's, got that, I mean, it's supposed to come out like I guess in a, probably a month or two. It's going to hit Shutter mm-hmm. at some point, so I'm definitely waiting for it. But yeah, it's definitely yeah. something in my alley. Like it's got it's got a very it's got a very sci-fi sword and sorcery fantasy kind of mm-hmm. connection. Uh, very Robert E. Howard, Carl Edward, Edward Wagner kind of stuff. It's right. very bleak. It's very very bleak. <laughs> a lot of blood. A lot of full frontal nudity from both sexes. Uh, Lucy oh, nice. Lawless's character is topless in it for majority of the film, nice. um, and it's it's basically different periods of time in this world, uh, sort of told in anthology format. And there's like connections between characters and stuff to like do this overreaching story. I think the only flaws in this film really are that uh, it takes way too time, too much time to build its world. And it doesn't oh. have enough running time to really fit a great story in there. <laughs> okay. So, like, if they had done this as a series, right. I think it would have been really good. Well, how long but is it? It's like, I think it's an hour and a half or something like that. It, it's, That's it? Yeah. Really? So, it's it's a bunch of vignette stories. And the, it, the problem is you don't get enough time to really, like, connect with the characters all that much because it's too busy, like continuing to build the world around the characters than right. it is focusing on the characters. Uh, and also I am slightly disappointed by the rotoscoping am- animation because it sort of falls into that side of rotoscoping where the people drawing over the frames didn't do a great job with it necessarily. <laughs> so it stands out from the awesome backgrounds Okay. like these characters that are kind of uncanny valley where it's like they don't have enough emotions and mm. shit drawn on their face where right, sometimes right, right. you kind of disconnect from them but it's it's a minor quibble it's you know yeah hmm. okay hmm. I, I definitely it's definitely something I, I like when i saw it in trailer for it and i saw like it was was it, it was shutter and i was like oh when i'm making the shutter no it's not on there yet it's like fuck so it's mm-hmm. like i'm definitely gonna wait um, but it's definitely something I'm, I'm on my alley from what I've read about it. And I'm like, and everybody so far has been very positive. Mine is still kind of like, like I've heard people bring up the whole kind of the fact that the rotoscoping isn't a hundred percent, like it's, it's rotoscoping. So you have mm-hmm. to kind of give and take, especially if it's the proper kind of where they're drawing on the drawing it on the cells yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, I don't. I it's don't not, know if they. I don't know if they use film because I feel like this is such a low budget production that they probably yeah. didn't buy film stock. So, right, and they yeah. just drew over the digital. Yeah. Um. So, and that's kind of like a, and that's kind of like, like uh, Basky's Wizards and whatnot is kind of like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But there's definitely a little more. 
you can definitely tell in that in Basky, at least with Wizards, you can definitely tell that he kind of took the time with his animators to kind of draw in what he needed to be drawn and then kind of kept stuff opened like to be mm-hmm. like okay you don't have to go deep into giving every fucking line for this character yeah like he kind of picked and choose but it could also be kind of time constraint or just like an overall like um aesthetic you know but i but like i said that's that's the thing the interesting part about about the whole that whole art style which is just does not done anymore mm-hmm. yeah that, that's what i appreciate most of it and it's like oh this is you know it it's close to fire and ice but it's not quite there, you know, like if it had just been one cohesive story instead of done as vignettes, I think I would have liked it a little bit better. But, you know, right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, OK, so uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to play podcast promo, some music. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Vampire in Venice. And uh, I do think we got this, man. We got this by the ass. You ungodly warlock. Motion Picture Massacre is dedicated to exploitation, cult, grindhouse, and horror films from the last 7,500 fucking years. I don't fucking know. It's everything. If you're interested in that, check out motionpicturemassacre.com or if you're on iTunes, search Motion Picture Massacre and you'll find it. This has been your announcer, Cowardly Fuck Your Bags, signing off. Eat a dick. You ungodly warlock.
back, and we're going to be talking about Vampire in Venice from 1988, also known as Nosferatu in Venice, Vampires in Venice, and Prince of the Night in some U.S. <laughs> markets at one point. Um, and we actually do have a trailer for this, although it's all in Italian, I think, or German or something. <laughs> Nosferatu, Fürst der Hölle, gib dich uns zu erkennen. Vampire. Professor Catalano ist der führende Wissenschaftler auf diesem Gebiet. Was führt sie nach Venedig? Vampire sind überall. Willst du in den Schlund der Hölle stürzen für alle Ewigkeit? Du Satan! Das war Nosferatu, oder? Ja, er hat unsere Beschwörungen gehört und er wird wieder töten. Was können wir tun? Liebe, nur Liebe kann ihn zerstören. Die Hingabe einer Jungfrau. Im Augenblick der Vereinigung wird er sterben. Tausend Jahre hat er sich nach dem Tod gesehnt. zwingt das Böse in die Knie, die Hingabe einer Jungfrau. All right, that was definitely German. Um, yep. Yeah, that sounded like Hitler fights the vampires or some <laughs> shit like at some point like there. Um, uh-huh. uh, directed by uh, Augusto Caminito, uh, also directed by Luigi Cosi, a very notable exploitation uh-huh. director from Italy. Uh, also directed by Maurizio Lucidi, did a few crowd scenes, and Klaus Kinski, uncredited for some scenes as well. <laughs> and we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, written by uh, Alberto Alferreri, Leandro Lucetti, and Augusto Caminito. Uh-huh. And we have Klaus Kinski as Nosferatu, Barbara De Rossi as uh, Hilitia Cannons, uh, Yorgo Voyages as Dr. Barnaval, who was in Zorba the Greek. And I actually remember him from Frantic from 1988. Mm, He's like yeah. a kid- kidnapper in that. Right. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Ketched as Maria Cannons, uh, Elvery Audrey as Uta Barnaval, and I actually remember her from some exploitation shit. Um, Scorpion with two tails from 82, yeah. uh, which is a Sergio Martino film, I think. And yes. uh, uh, Iron Master from 83, which is like, uh, hey, let's rip off Conan the Barbarian. And mm-hmm. yeah, so there you go. Uh, Giuseppe Managiulo, who is is not given a, a, a character name in this these nope. credits, but he mm-hmm. is in Murder Rock. I recognized him immediately from fucking Murder Rock from 84. Uh, I think the same producers and stuff are on that too. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
rest of the cast here nah, doesn't really matter. Like I, I did pop for someone who just called themselves Lachunga as their uh, <laughs> their stage name, which was the the woman at the gypsy camp who was dancing. Right. I guess her entire career was like you need someone in the 1970s to be in your Italian movie, and you need a gypsy who dances. I'm yep. your I'm your person. Like what the. F- yeah, Ugh. and uh, of course, and bottom build, unfortunately, which makes little sense other than maybe Kinski demanded it. Uh, Donald Pleasance as Don Avalese and Christopher Plummer as Professor Paris Catalano. So, so with those things, you get and it's and Donald Pleasance with and Christopher Plummer, which is mm-hmm. like, OK, and the thing is. They're not in the same fucking scenes ever. Mm-mm. So I did the show. I did this film last year on my show, and the copy that I saw, like YouTube, you can't. Even, I can't even find it anymore. So I was kind of like really upset because yeah. I wanted to watch both cuts. Like, and the copy I saw was just pretty much. It felt like two different movies. But we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. We'll talk. Let's talk about the this this version of the film, which when I watched it last night, I mean to be honest, I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, I I was so exhausted that I kind of just. It kind of willed me into bed. And then this morning I got up, deliberately got up early and watched it again. Like I started from beginning and watched it this morning, like wide, wide awake. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I am. I'm fine with it. I'm not as hateful as I was when I originally saw it a year ago, but I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I can, can, I can, I can understand now. It's not like, no, I'm not like, <laughs> like <laughs> but like, it's a, it's a fascinating film of like how, how would how an actor still had enough clout in his career so late in his career um that he can get that he can get things people would just run to make shit with him mm-hmm. you know if you look at Kinski's like career at that time he was making fucking everything yeah and people would just be like what do you want we can get Kinski fuck it do whatever you want like let, you know he's going to be here for it just deal with him um, and by the time that, that those late eighty film eighties films, he got so detrimental and so psychotic that it's just like, you know, I don't, I'm amazed that like, and we can we'll, we can talk about it from other films, but it's like it's so amazing that people even got ma- movies made with him in the eighties like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like his last movie with Herzog was yeah. uh, Cobra Verde. Cobra Verde, yeah, yeah, and that was just like what a year before this or something like yeah. that. Like, was yeah, before, and he was already. Like he was tr- he, he he did this movie because he was getting a two picture deal where he'd do this, mm-hmm. and then he would get to make his Paganini film, which was his yep. last film. Right? That was like the 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 fucking the film that he's been wanting to make for years, and someone finally gave him the the opportunity to make it. So mm-hmm. he's like, fuck it, I'll make I'll make a sequel. Sure, yeah. Like and, and, and like he wanted Herzog to do it, and Herzog was like, I can't shoot the script because it sucks. Yeah, um, he and he wouldn't refuse. Yeah. And so I, I guess when he was on Cobra Verde, from what I understand, from what I read, mm-hmm. um, he was already getting in the mindset of Paganini and then made him even more difficult to work with than yeah. usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So imagine him coming into this piece of trash, basically. Right. And, and fucking he was not listening to anybody. Right. Like, so. In 79, Werner Herzog was kind of high on the horse of making films with Kinski. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made a, re- a Gear of the Wrath of God. I yep. think Warcheck. Warcheck, was it 78? Somewhere around there. Right. And then he made this. And, and this is kind of 
Uh, Nosferatu, the the Herzog version, is probably, in my mind, probably one of the better remakes of a masterpiece. It's I. I, it's just right up there with the F.W. Murnau film. If mm-hmm. I, you know, if you really, I, I, I even it. like it better. But you know, I, it, you know, I, splitting I, hairs. Yeah, but it's definitely it's definitely like a, a classic mm-hmm. uh, of like of European cinema. And so you get a like a, a European, you know, a kind of a sleazemeister producer to be like, all right, I I've booked. You know, Kinski, he's willing to do he's willing to do the film. He's, you know, he's told me he's willing to shave his head and go back into the makeup, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets the money together. He hires a big director. He realizes that maybe if I if I, you know, like it says the fact that like the whole you read the whole background story, there's some like directors who came in mm-hmm. who were pretty much working for a couple of days and just fired and paid off like they were yeah. fired and paid their full fucking price. And told, don't worry about it. And then the budget would just go down and yeah, down he, because he kept, kept bringing people it. in. Yeah. And it's like you ha- he had this big budget idea and he brings in a decent decent producer and he's a decent director. He starts doing shots. He goes, I think I'd rather pay you to not work on this film and get a director who's lesser scale, but to have the budget still to kind of make a bigger film. And it's like it, it under you can understand where he's coming from as a producer. It's like I'd rather put the money into the overall instead of paying a big director. But you're still but because of contracts, he still had to pay the the pay this director, so it cuts the budget in a quarter. Yeah, um, and he was he was also like fishing for somebody who would. Uh, I, I believe this director had worked with Kinski before at this point, the one they finally settled on. Yes, and uh-huh. so so it's like find somebody who can like kind of maybe hopefully rein Kinski in a little right. bit and, and like also just like not stand up to him. <laughs> yeah. And so Kinski comes from Cobra Verde. Have you ever seen Cobra Verde? Mm-hmm. Kinski has kind of bleached his hair out. He's got this long, insane fucking flowing mane of hair. Yeah. It just looks unreal. Um, because it's like it's like short to the short rows, but then like the middle of the back of his head is long down to his ass. It's fucking it's a weird and he's got look. and he's got that big bald spot that he's yeah. had for like ten years now. Yeah. So right he's, there. It's like an ultra comb over. Mm-hmm. It's this crazy look. He gets there on the set, they pull out the they pull out the makeup and they see he says no. He just mm-hmm. automatically just fucking has a field day, he says, I'm not wearing the mask. I'm not shaving my head. I'm not doing any of it. I'm not. I don't even want to wear the fucking teeth. And they're like, "Well, okay, he doesn't want to do it. So what are we gonna do?" Mm-hmm. And so they they have the gear. So they put him in the fucking the mid century time, and they change it from a straight up sequel. You know, kind of back in you know you know pre peasant times. And yeah, it would have been. They, um like 1700s sometime. Right. And so we make it a, we make it an eighties film. We make it mm-hmm. modern time, um, which doesn't, f- <laughs> it, it, the great thing about this film is that it feels out of time. It doesn't feel like it's, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it was made in 1987, 88, but it feels like something that just in another world. And then like this kind of weird dreamscape um, kind of nightmare. And like, I, I made that comment on Twitter about how his whole grimace, this whole movie, him just, fucking looking like he just ate a shit sandwich <laughs> he is like a whole fucking mood for me yeah so originally the version i saw when i watched this last year was you had two films that kind of verged into one 
Mm-hmm. Um, you have this whole story where the Kinski character is roaming the countryside, trying to make it to uh, what's her name? Um, uh, fuck, the fuck, Princess Helalita or whatever. Yes. Yeah, he's trying to make it to her, and he wants to die. And the only way he can die is by give by by having sex with a willing virgin. Yeah. Right. And in the version I saw, you don't get that scene with the gypsies giving oh, really? one yeah, the one virgin. You do have it. They do actually do that quote that you used for your nickname where he comes mm-hmm. out of he comes out of nowhere and they're like, Don't leave us and he goes, you know, time doesn't matter and then he wanders off. And that's the last time you see the gypsies. You don't see them like in this version where the gypsies pop up hmm. at the party and kind of dance around and shit like that. And you're like, Where where'd they all come from? What the fuck? Um, well he, well, he- so one of his little temper tantrums where he insisted on, mm-hmm. you know, having things his way, he actually hired real gypsies, Romani, to be yeah. in the film. And he insisted on them being authentic. And I actually, I kind of respect him for doing that. Like, right. I, like it, I actually it, like those scenes. When yeah. You know, that big dance number scene when he's having sex with the Virgin. But he ultimately bites her and kind of be, makes her like one of his au pairs. Yeah, because they're all like all the gypsies. Like you see, all the gypsies are vampires. Yeah, which is a good callback actually to the original text of Dracula, where Dracula right. has the gypsy helpers, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's that's cool. Like that, okay, so so let's just go back. So how this film starts is you have a hunting party mm-hmm. roaming through some kind of. You know, somewhere in Europe, wearing um, modern clothes with modern yes. rifles, which immediately threw me off. Like, what? yeah, <laughs> um, shooting ducks out of the air, and one of them shoots a, a bat. Uh, mm-hmm. And the woman in the party says that it's, it's bad luck to, sh- to kill a vampire, to kill a bat. And the uh, the guy just picks it up and says, throws it. And says, who gives a shit? It's yeah, it's a vampire bat. It it drinks right. the blood of cows or something. Yeah, shit. and as oh. they fr- he throws it into the thing, they let the dog go loose. The dog goes off and chews up the vampire bat. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to the kind of what we're seeing there, and it we we you keep going back and forth yeah. um, between uh, the vampire uh, Nosferatu and his gypsy encampment, and Christopher Plummer and Donald Pleasance um, mm-hmm. <laughs> dealing with this like ancient ro- ancient family who may or may have not um, dealt with Nosferatu at some point. I think they, they're supposed they, to be related or something because they say they come from Transylvania, right? Yes, like, they, I think yeah. they think that their family members are, and there are family members in the crypt in the basement of the house that they live in the, uh, mm-hmm. that are, are may or may not be um, vampires. Yeah, their kind of, their tombs have been kind of sealed up. They're, I mean, like they're locked in place, um, and the the eldest daughter of of the family feels that this is a curse and feels that the that that they're kind of um destined to have things happen to them destined to have this- uh, i kind of disagree you know? uh yeah. the, the whole the whole impetus for the story is actually bullshit like they call christopher Plummer in to help them with their vampire problem but they don't have a vampire problem because the vampire as far as they know is locked up in the tomb underneath the, yeah. their house mm-hmm. and so they're like you want to get a medium in here and resurrect the vampire. I was like, that sounds like a really bad idea because right. you guys are rich. Uh, your mother or whatever is a fucking princess. Yeah. You're basically royalty in Italy. Why do you need to do this? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. And then you have the younger daughter 
who willingly kind of what's the word? She, she just pretty much you know requests Nosferatu to show up to the house. She calls his boner basically. Yeah, she, call, like, yeah, she calls him. She and, and and this is what makes him roam the countryside to come. But like he, mm-hmm. he he's supposed to be somewhere out in Romania. Yeah, and within within in film logic, he's there in a second. In the yeah. version I in the version I saw, it always felt like it was some kind of dream, right. like with him. Because when he would show up in the house, like he, he kills the queen, he kills the print, the uh, the their grandmother, the mother. Yeah, of the family. she's the, she's like the the princess, and then like yeah, yeah. It just feels like he just pops up out of nowhere and just kills mm-hmm. people or you know and attacks the girls, and you're like. And then when you'd cut back to him, he's just roaming through like fields and streams and he's just walking for fucking ever. And you're like, what is going on here? Well, I I kind of see what so that so that's part of where Kinski was taking the film crew out in the morning. Yeah. And having them film him for like 10 hours. Yeah. And just I insist that we do this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I think I know the mentality behind that, because like, if you watch right. uh, Herzog's Nosferatu, mm-hmm. there's these scenes where he's wandering the streets and stuff like that, where he's hearing things. And it's almost like he's feeling the night kind of thing. Like they're, they're actually right. like really effective, powerful scenes in Nosferatu. Yeah. And I, I think he wanted to replicate that performance here. Yeah. But then there's like scenes where he's like, walking through an alleyway where dogs in cages and he's in the kicking sunlight the, and he's kicking the cages. Yeah. It makes, like, where the fuck did this come from? Yeah, that came and, from his mania, I think, is what that yeah. came from. So he gets willed to this to this castle and this kind of villa. But, like, you have Christopher Palmer and Downer Pleasance, like, who don't even interact with him. Mm-hmm. Like, and in the other version I saw, the only time you see Plummer interact with Kinski is after he's killed the youngest daughter and he's like walks out, he's walking into the house and he kicks the door in and plumbers at the bottom of the stairs, just fucking shocked that he's walking in with this dead woman. And you're like, okay. And it's not even in this film because plumber just disappears. Like he just goes home. He's like, well, I couldn't do anything. And then he's out. Well, Oh really? Oh, so you, you've, I think you watched even a different version than I watched for the podcast because the one I watched was, so Christopher Plummer shows up and he seems to be the main character. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's the vampire hunter. Like he's really doing the Peter Cushing impression here, right? Like very much so. And then we get near the end of the movie where he's with the doctor character who was like the husband of the, the main girl who first gets bitten or whatever. And he goes after Nosferatu of a cross and Nosferatu burns the cross in his hands and defeats him. And this leaves him laying, crying like a bubbling bitch on the fucking. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. The, the only oh, time really? you see with the, with the, with the doctor is like at the end of the film, when Kinski finally makes it to the, the young virgin and she's like, and you have this bizarre fucking sex scene with him. Um, yeah. And it cuts back and forth and you're like, what's going on? And they, they find, they find the, uh, they find the, the crypt where his, where his is and where his, his wife's body's buried in the mm-hmm. young gypsy girl. They open him up and they notice him sleeping. And they, as they hit yeah. him, as they stab him to death, he, you know, we, it turns into another person. It turns into, like yeah. a, you know, it's a fake out. Yeah, it's the uh, intercut while this fucking weird sex scene's going on. You're like, mm-hmm. uh, okay. yeah, that that's definitely in the version I saw. But like at the end of the confrontation between Christopher Plummer and, Kla- right. and Klaus Kinski, uh, Plummer then goes back and defeat 
packs up his bag. He's got his uh-huh. hands wrapped up because they're burnt. The cross right. burnt in his hands. And and he's actually got a scene with Donald Pleasance in, in this version. Yeah. And Donald Pleasance, like, just starts berating him. No, like, he's screaming at him. Yeah, the whole yeah, it's like, you're, you're a bitch. You basically say, uh-huh. it's like, you're a bitch. You're running away like a little bitch. And then Christopher Plummer goes up on a bridge, and there's yeah. all this mist around. And it, the mist sort of covers him, and then it flows away, and he's not on the bridge anymore, and you hear a splash. And he's like, so it's implied that he committed suicide in the canal, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think I think it's the same one I'm thinking, but I don't oh, okay. remember. I don't remember the scene with Kinski, with him and Kinski confronting each other. It like, like the doctor, the doctor shoots him, shoots at him with his rifle, right? Um, and and Kinski grabs the rifle breaks it over his fucking knee mm-hmm. and plumbers in that scene with him, And then the doctor runs off. And then, uh, then there's the scene where Kinski pretends to be, uh, the doctor's wife. Right. And then seduce him in and then rips his neck open. I, yeah, the, the, I don't remember that because I don't mm. remember the, the, cause the, when you see the, the only when after the, after the whole, like, you know, the fake out with the crypt and Kinsey's having the sex scene, they they go to the young woman's room because they're like, okay, where else could he be? And they go to the young woman's room and they shoot and they start shooting at the room. They kick oh, the door. Okay, and okay yeah, the I, I made a bit of a mistake there. So like, you had the plumber scene with the doctor. That's the initial okay. scene where they confront him. Right. And then the doctor comes back with two of his friends and confronts. Yeah, confronts no threat to when and they shoot up the room and they kill the woman and they kill the uh, the young the young the young virgin. Yeah, um, well, well they 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 like uh, they wound her severe like mortally. She doesn't quite die until later, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he freaking like you know he doesn't kill them, but he definitely puts the you know you know breaks their guns and scares them away. And then you have like the last ten minutes of him hard like trying to like lift this woman and walk her through the streets of Venice. <laughs> and it just looks like he's dragging her because it's, oh, he's, yeah. she, he's clearly a man in his sixties who cannot hold a he, woman who's like 22 in his arms for more than five seconds. Yeah. He's, he's what? 63 at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, what yeah. the fuck? It's like, and it's just, it's a perplexing film because it's just, you can tell that the producer who put this together, and he's even like I've, I read that like he they shot for six weeks, and he realized that he didn't have he didn't have the film finished. It was just like yeah. there was no way he was finishing it. So there was a lot of pickup shots and a lot of like Luigi Cozy was brought. He was second unit, but he was brought in to do a lot of just those little shots, like that weird sh- that weird scene with the the kids um, dressed in the costumes. Mm-hmm. Like that's just that's a that's a shot that Luigi Cozy did. He did that scene. It didn't. They didn't need it. They needed so, it because they needed to fill time because they had yeah. they didn't have ninety minutes, um, which makes no fucking sense at all. Because it's like, why are we bringing in like a love entrance to this character? It's like, it, what do you do? It, yeah, it feels like there's a weird little like slasher film subplot in this where it's like you mm-hmm. introduce the young friends of the main girl yeah. and and they're going to like go to the party and Kinski's going to kill them all after they have sex or something like no, they just right. disappear. Like they nope, just vanish. Yep, just yeah. gone. They she confronts them about like especially the boy she confronts, "Oh, you don't have a girlfriend." And it's like, "What mm. the fuck? What, where are we where are we going with this?" Well, she's wearing uh for yeah, some reason she, yeah, she's wearing a mask to make her look like the old princess character. Mm-hmm. 
and, and to fool she, him. And she tears it off and she's yeah. like, uh-huh. And you're like, wait, what? What? And like this is this is the time when like Paganini horror was made, like 86, 85. So so no. Donald Pleasance was kind of just hanging out in Venice. Yeah. Kind of just collecting a paycheck and well, like he, he living. Did, uh, he, yeah, he, he was. Went, he, he did. He did. Pagan, like Kinska, was it? Cozy said that he. The reason why Pleasance did Paganini horror for the begin with is because he wanted to go to. He wanted to go to Italy, and he mm-hmm. loved hanging out in Italy. So he would work with Cozy because Cozy was just like, yeah, come, just hang out. Like, yeah, and he and he was uh, the previous to this. He was in. Um, yeah, he was in. Yeah, he was in Paganini horror. Right. So he yeah. was in Paganini horror, and then he came onto this. Yeah, and then after just, this. He Kinsky was just there. Did, yeah, and then Kinski did Paganini, and yeah. 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 Uh, which I haven't seen yet. I don't know if you've ever, ever been able to find a copy. I've only, I haven't found a copy. I, I'm sure it's somewhere at this point, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I know, I know it, it, it did have a release. DVD, and it's like mm-hmm. fucking expensive as shit. It's like, mm, I don't, like, I'm a fan, like, of Kinski, mm-hmm. regardless of, like, everything oh and like horrible his, shit he did in this yeah. film alone one well, i'm just yes that but like the yeah, to his kids to know. his kids to anybody who were you, you watch any film anything like even like the the german stuff he was doing at the start of his career when he started getting mm-hmm. big I, I did a couple of like um world war ii films of his this year like churchill's leopards and oh uh, yeah and like it's like you're like how the f- fuck <laughs> did you, you were that big of a star in europe that it's like you could do whatever the hell you wanted the fact that like no one ever really knew the truth about his like, upbringing and like because mm-hmm. he was a constant liar like even his autobiographies aren't completely 100 percent because people yeah are like, yeah there's no way in hell he could have been up there at that time because he wasn't well, old enough or he wasn't I, he was too young i think he was diagnosed as a psychopath and untreated yeah, so. yeah. bipolar schizophrenic something yeah. like that and even like herzog would he you know herzog would do that was it the documentary like a couple years my, after his death yeah. my best friend my best fiend yep um, where he would talk about the time, you know, working with him throughout those films and how difficult it was. But, you know, Kinski, but Herzog was the same kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And he was able just to kind of counteract all this bullshit that Kinski, that Kinski would pull on him. Yeah. Um, and uh, Herzog was in like a boarding school with Kinski or something like that, like some sort he, of thing. Yeah, he was he was the uh, Kinski was older than him and mm-hmm. like, they lived in the same boarding house. Yeah. That's um, yeah. The fact that like they would pull weapons on each other in the middle of filming, and and it's like okay, and like you can definitely tell, you can see it, and then you can see that like he would just pull the same bullshit on different producers and different actors and writers, directors, and people would just kind of take it because this is this is the big guy, like this is our actor. It's something that would never happen today. Wouldn't even happen. In like modern, like even in films made in the eighties in the states, because if you had an actor like that fucking pulling shit like that, they would be like, "No, nah, we're writing you off." Like, fuck that, it, I don't care how much money we're making with. You. That's the thing; he's flying way under the radar at this point in like mm-hmm. his career, right? Like he's doing these productions well, like the, at the end of the Italian horror boom, like right. where things are really going downhill. Yeah, where they're desperate for like any kind mm-hmm. of, and they and they will take the whoever the hell they want. Which, you know, and if Kinski's willing to, you know, you know, say, hey, I'll get dressed up in the gear and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Fuck. Like, and producers like, wait, he's going to he's going to do the whole thing. He's going to be that rat faced monster. He was 10 years prior. Yeah. OK, we'll give you money. I'll give you 50 grand. Um, and then, you know, they should have expected him to be like, no. Yeah. Like, I'm not. 
then he shows up and they're stuck. It's like, what are they going to do? They mm-hmm. they got a limited budget. They got to fire Kinski now and find someone else. Probably no. not. Nope. Yeah. And even like the the low budget shit he was doing, like Crawl Space and like Venom. Mm-hmm. Like even though those are great films, you can definitely <laughs> you can definitely tell that he like he he tortured directors all the time mm-hmm. and like had no choice but to kind of just suck it up and take it. Like Venom. Venom. Yeah. He he turned down Raiders of the Lost Ark for mm-hmm. Venom. <laughs> yep, because he thought he didn't he didn't like the he didn't like the he thought the writing was uh wasn't up to snuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Venom I think is a, is a great is a great film for him because it's it's a it's a great piece because it's him in uh what the fuck is his name another fucking crazy drunk fucking uh English fucking uh I know too and I'm he's in Tommy worried. he's in fucking Glide. oh yeah 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 uh, Oliver Reed Oliver Reed yeah. yeah and it's just a great it's a great mix of the two of them but then you have like a film like Crawl Space which was I think eighty four eighty five yeah and that was done for like full like Full Moon or Empire and the director of that film was so scarred from his experience with fucking Kinski that he even wrote us he wrote and made us like a a short film about. Please wanting kill to kill Mr. him, Mr. Kinski. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, how, like, how, like, how deep of a, how deep of an asshole are you that you, you turned a director who was, you know, making films and kind of trying to do his, his dream, mm-hmm. and you drove him that crazy that he, that he spent a good portion of his career after that, just going, I'm never going to do that again. Like, mm-hmm. I don't ever want to work with somebody like that again, regardless. And it's like, it's and- amazing. I think Kinski knew too, right? Like, I, I think he knew what he oh, could he, yeah. get away with, right? So, mm-hmm. like, he knew he could never do Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and be himself and do what the fuck he wanted no. to do. Like, no. he, he would have, day one, he would have tried to pull some shit and he would have yeah. been fired. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And you, any kind, yeah, any kind of American, like, big budget American film would have just terminated him instantly, regardless mm-hmm. of how big cl- his clout was. Because, like it doesn't matter. Like they can get mm-hmm. anybody to do those. To, you know, it would it would look great on you know look great in a poster when you see his name, you see his picture. Yeah, but like I'm not going to deal with the fucking prima donna bullshit that he pulls all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and, and it's not even prima donna. It's just fuck. It's, it's Napoleon. Just, it's, it's like it's it's just a reputation of being a liability. Like he's yeah. he's just legit crazy. Most people know it. He's never been you know probably officially mm-hmm. diagnosed. He's never been treated. Yeah. But he's still in the system, and it's just like. Mm-hmm. No, but if you look at like if you look at over the overall the career of the films, like what we what we can see, because there are definitely like films from the fifties and forties that I don't think have mm-hmm. ever been released, um, the German stuff and stuff like that. But like the stuff in the sixties, the seventies, especially the sixties and seventies, when he was roaming around Europe, just making films for everybody. Like you know, Sergio Corbucci and mm-hmm. Herzog and whatnot. It's fantastic. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. he's 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 a powerhouse. I mean, you can't films. you can't argue how fucking brilliant he is. Is right. like it, it's one of those things where you got to separate the fucking artist from the yeah. kind of thing, right? No, because because oh, like this film, mm-hmm. he. You 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 watch on the film. He's molesting these like every woman oh. he comes in contact with, uh, other than the aged princess. Oh, he he's throws. A, her. I love that scene though when he when he just uh, manifests himself in the room mm-hmm. and chucks her out the window, and you're like, and it's a, it's a combination of a dummy, and then when it lands on the spikes, the, the like the uh, the courtyard spikes, mm-hmm. it's clearly an old woman kind of being hosted. Like I guess she's being held up there by some kind of PA. 
on yeah. these spikes, you know, to kind of show that they're in there. And you're like, what the f-? And he's just standing over the over the window. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's fucking just phenomenal. Like it's it's artsy shot too, right? Because yeah. so they they use this gag twice. Mm-hmm. So they you have a flashback where he made like three priests uh, with the power of his wind machine eyeballs, basically <laughs> blow yeah. them the fuck out a window, the same window, and they go down into those same spikes. You know, yep. years earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And you get those uh, even even though it's late Italian period horror and shit, you still get like those big meaty Italian impalement sounds where it's right. like yes. <sighs> <laughs> and it's like fucking great. And and then so he does it to the old lady. And then you have this like she's been wearing these gloves the whole time. Yeah, the one glove just. Yeah. And so he, he was holding onto her hand or whatever. So the glove comes off. And then you have this artsy shot of the glove flowing down to her. And then her blood like comes into the fucking glove. And I'm like, right. There's so many good things in this film. Yeah. Had they managed to bring it together, mm-hmm. it probably would have been actually a really classic right euro horror but kinski just gets in the way of every fucking thing in this film that and like the sex scenes like i've said like the sex scenes are just fucking like well he's he's legit molesting these women on screen like like he clearly like the first one we get when he like he appears and she's laying in bed and they're like he's talking about how like you willed me here and he Mm. just rips her clothes off and you're like and he's just slowly slowly like you know grabbing her tits and he puts his hand down near her you know and you and he starts to pl- like you're like oh mm-hmm. it's like it's like it's not sexual at all it's just kind of really gr- it's really gross no, it's, and then, it's super assault like it's yeah. rapey it's fucked like it and really the is sex scene at the end of the film is the most kind of like oh like because she it's he's it's dry humping her yeah he's on top of her like for, not, not like where she's like, you know, face to face with him, he's he's she's laying on her stomach and he's yeah. just humping the shit out of her from the back end. And you're like, oh god. And they don't show the 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 the, the other sex scene that we don't really get, like with the with the uh, gypsy girl. Mm-hmm. Um, we get like a kind of we see him kind of like her getting naked and wanting to kind of be with him and and you know willing to be with him and he kind of transforms her. And but like his whole his whole thing in the film is that he wants to die. Yeah. That's like his, that's his, you know, his uh, modus operandi in the film. And the only way he can die, I don't know if this is actually something from any of the writing or any kind of lore. No. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's completely not. goofy um, that he has to die from the hands of a willing virgin. You know, mm. and it, and it's just like, yeah, it has to be a woman who's a, vir- a you know, virgin of any kind of age is willing has, to have... It has to be an incredibly young virgin as well, apparently. Yes. And it's like, okay, and like even with the end of the film, like spoilers, he doesn't die. Like, he's, like I am said, he's carrying this woman through the streets of Venice and you're like, okay. And that's how it ends. And you get uh, this, you know, it goes, cuts back to the hunting party and then we have the woman repeat the the line that, you know, killing a vampire bat is a bad, is a bad omen. And then it uh, cuts, you know, it, it freeze frames, and then it's like the music inspired by Matt Bajera, like uh, was it Vangelis? Vangelis is magic, and you're like, wait, this isn't even Vangelis. This is like no, the, like yeah, the, the, <laughs> this is uh, this is uh, Luigi Seccarelli, I guess. I'm not, I'm not totally familiar with, but I have heard some of his stuff. But like I've heard, like it sounds like Vangelis the whole time, and I'm like. Because he's ripping like, off oh, 
Yeah, he's it's, it's, it's an ode to this one record from ode, Vangelis, and you're like, ode, quote unquote, ode. It, it legit. It's pretty much covers of that album. Yeah, it's yeah. like what? Okay, it's like we just we ran out of money. Can you try to reproduce this without us getting in trouble? And we will give them a kind of like, hey, we tried. <laughs> hey, Vangelis, you're pretty cool. We're gonna put your name on our film. Uh, See, that's I, I suspect that's the reason I couldn't find any score for this film because right. there's they would there's no way they could fucking release it without Vangelis suing the fuck out of them, basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I basically the music you'll be hearing in this, uh-huh. it will be from the Mask album. It'll be Mask sequence three or some shit. Yeah. Like that. Like, I, went, I went out. I'm like when I was work today, I was listening to it. I was like, oh my god, it actually is like pretty spot on like it's it's got a little bit of changes but it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely spot on and i'm like that's just like perplexing that, that like at the end of the film like, like not even at the end it's just it's just music inspired by the by evangelist's mask and then the credits roll you're like i don't I, I don't even know why i don't even know why they did that like it's it's an italian film industry right notorious for just we're just going to repurpose people's music and put it yeah. in our shit anyway. They should have just ripped off Papa Vool from the, their score from the original Nosferatu. Right. Like, I doubt anyone would have sued. Yeah, and the music doesn't really, I don't know, like, it's its interesting, right? Yeah, but, but it's, it's placed it's, the Yeah, it's spot. in the weird fucking areas. It's like... It overshadows the dialogue. Like, half the time you can't hear what the characters are saying. Yeah, especially yeah. in that, like, seance scene and stuff like that. You're like... Why is this so loud? Why is this overdone? Um, and I'm just amazed. Like, so Severin put that out, put it out this year, mm-hmm. like last year, like last year, yeah, end of last year. And like for the longest time, there was there was a copy on YouTube, and I'm guessing it's ever since the Severin release, it's been probably kinda, yeah. it's disappeared because I couldn't find it. I was like, where is this copy? I watched. And like I even checked my my letterbox uh, originally, and it's just like half a star, awful piece of shit. And I was like. <laughs> And then when I watched it this morning, I kind of bumped it up to a star and a half because I was like, you know what? It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. It's like, unless I'm asked by a podcast to do it again on a, sh- on a show, I don't think I'll ever watch this. <laughs> <laughs> it's something like it's something that I would play like in the background. You know, it's definitely like a, it's like a party movie. You know, mm-hmm. you just put it on. Don't put the sound on and just let it go. And like, see if people actually start sitting down and start, hey, what are we watching? Like, it's like, mm. you know, that's the kind of thing that we're, because it's, it's that kind of film. It's just, like, what the fuck is, what, what is, <laughs> or like something you'd project behind a band playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, like, <laughs> some like really pretty shots of Venice and then yeah. Klaus Kinski molesting uh-huh. boobs and <laughs> it's gross. It's yeah. So it's gross. so gross. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And like Christopher Plummer. I'm so perplexed at what they did to his character in this. Like, it feels mm-hmm. like originally he was probably written to like have a moment where he fails and then he comes right. back and beats Nosferatu. But then Kinski decided, no, we're not doing that. No, I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, like, I love it. Like, there's this disconnect between the time periods and shit. So, like, originally, before you realize Plummer's on like a motorized gondola. Uh, he comes in with like a cape on in 1986 or whatever when this is yeah. set. It's like, why is he wearing that? Why does he look like Dracula? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird because yeah, he walks in. You're like, okay, like this is clearly two different time periods, but no, mm-hmm. it's not. We're 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 all in modern time, and like 
Yeah, and then you have that whole bitch out sequence with Donald Pleasance. Like he just gives Oof. him the business, and you're like, and Pleasance's character is kind of nonchalant. It's just like no real he's, reason to have him there. I understand like they need a priest, but yeah, like he, he is the definition of background character in this. Yeah. Like because half the time he's like eating food and drinking wine behind people. Yeah, and every once in a while, and every once in a while he says something slightly catholic key kind of you yeah. know like god would not approve of that and then everyone ignores him yeah it doesn't make any, it's like it's like like i said it's clearly like a scene it's clearly that um you know pleasance was there just kind of already on vacation from other things mm-hmm. and he's like they're like well we have this role do you want to work on it yeah sure i'll come yeah. in <laughs> if i get back uh, at home in time to do the next halloween sequel sure uh, like i don't want to really do anything but like you know i can like how's the catering yeah yeah okay fine i'll I'll come and like he and the thing is he gives him he gives it his all when he bitches mm -hmm. him out like it's you have that that's where the performance lies with with uh pleasant line he when he yells at when he yells at plumber's character is when it's when it really picks it up because you're like oh shit there's fucking donald pleasance like there he is it's like that's the that's the guy we know. It's like he's he's fucking foaming at the mouth, screaming at him. He does he does his failure. Loomis Loomis yeah. crazy voice <laughs> pretty yeah. much. Like yeah. he's he's just like fucking yeah. He's foaming at the mouth, screaming it's at like him. I, I shot Nosferatu six times. <laughs> it's like no, and then he's gone. And then after he bitches him out, he disappears. And it's like yep. okay, like and, you know, Mister Pleasance is done. Thank you. And like the whole pre, any of oh, the people who are with him, like the two other priests that were with him, everybody gone. All of them are gone. And then it becomes this, you know, it becomes his desperate, Plumber's desperate search to kind of get it done with this doctor who is like, like clearly like a, just like a, like a tertiary character. He's just brought mm-hmm. in to kind of like when what's her face gets bitten and she's, you know, you know, she's locked up in bed, which is kind of an old, you know, piece from, you know, Bram Stoker, it's like, we'll just pull mm-hmm. this piece out. You know, when, when one of the women gets bitten and she starts, she's kind of midway through turning. Um, so we'll bring a doctor in kind of for that. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this character is really late in the film. And then that character becomes like our main protagonist, but he has, yeah. like, six, he has like six lines and they're not even about anything that's, you know, and tell to what's going on. And then all of a sudden he becomes the fucking, the guy because Plummer gets fucked up. And then it's yeah. like, all right, so I'm going to be with my buddies, and we're going to find the cursed earth and the the tomb is, and and then you find out that little bit about he only sleeps every 24 days. And he sleeps one 24 hours every 24 days. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, like how hard is it to find him? He's supposed to be in Venice. You have 24 days to find him. Like it's not like it shouldn't be that hard. Especially if you have a huge search party, you should be able to find a place where it's like, okay, we see this old fucking dude walking back and forth with this with this gypsy chick. Yeah. Hanging out in this area. Okay. Not that hard. Find her. Mm-hmm. And then you have that, like, the scene, like, the party scene where the gypsies pop up to kind of, like, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's it's just, it's so obvious how many rewrites were done and, like, how much, like, the budget kept going down as they're trying to piece this yeah. together and shit. And, and, it just, just, and it just feels like in the editing room, they were just like, fuck. Like, I don't, like, we don't have any time left. Like, we can't I, go back and shoot anything. Mm-mm. Like, and then... It, you know, they did shoot it. Like I said, they shoot it. They shot that scene, and Cozy shot a couple of scenes of just random, just walking sequences of Venice with nobody. And it's like, yeah, we, gotta, we just got to fill time. And and like the biggest problem is they didn't have 
they originally had the budget where they could do other takes. Like they could, they could have a lot of coverage mm-hmm. for this and then piece something together. But Kinski came in and refused to do retakes. Yep. Like he, and also he came in and refused to sit on his fucking queue too. So he'd come in and he'd be like, no, I don't want to shoot here. I want to shoot here. And that forced the production to like waste time resetting all the lights and everything. Right. And, and reframing he changed, everything. He even had them change the lighting in certain scenes mm-hmm. to kind of reflect him more than anyone else in the room. Yeah. So like, like he just he just sabotages fucking like it's it's actually kind of a weird miracle that there's even anything semi-coherent yeah. from this completed film. Mm-hmm. So it's like fuck. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I only give a recommendation because this is such an obscure, weird, just footnote in Euro horror. Yeah, it's like the it's like the death knell of the of Euro mm-hmm. horror. Because by '88, you know, it was even it was even harder for like like Argento was still making movies, but there were like the the budgets were lower and lower every fucking yeah. year. Even though like um, before his death. Uh, Fulci was having harder and harder trouble making films. All those guys were having a harder, harder trouble. You had guys like Michael Slavi coming in, and he was supposed to be the uh, the the wunderkind, the guy who was going to help revolutionize, like bring back the whole uh, Euro horror thing. And um, you know, even with him kind of making these interesting films like Cemetery Man and Stage Fright and The Sect and stuff like that, didn't help. And he yeah. dropped off to the face of the earth like his kid died or something like that. Yeah, something or? something happened with his family. He's back now making films and nothing nothing pe- that people are going like, oh, we need to fucking, you know, release that in the mm-hmm. States. It's yeah. like, you know, modern stuff. It's not no horror related stuff. It's a lot kind of just like dramas and stuff like that. So it's like Yeah, like you, you get you get Cemetery Man and that's like a bright spot, but like contemporary yeah, but, to that you get like what, like fucking Mother of Tears or some bullshit. Uh-huh. But like, it's like what, know? ninety what Cemetery Man's like ninety one? Right, something like that. Ninety. Uh, Isn't that more mid nineties? Cemetery Man. Oh, maybe ninety three, ninety four, something like that. Yeah, but like by that time, it was the whole you know, it had already Ita- at least Italian horror, at least Italian like genre cinema was dead. Like by yeah, that time. it did bottomed out. Like, and you, you get like ninety, I think, is what Cat in the Brain, which is way more mm-hmm. coherent than this is. Yeah, and the and that movie ain't coherent at all. Right. <laughs> But so, like, yeah, all those guys who were still around making horror films were having a hard time getting anybody because the, the the bottom had dropped out and there was no yeah. real money in it anymore. Yeah, and there was nowhere for them to go. It's not like when they first, when a lot of these guys started, they went from comedies to westerns to horror movies. Right yeah. by the end of the by the end of the eighties, they were completely like, well, we got nothing else to do. What do you? What do you? Okay, we're just gonna hang out, you know. And Argento was, you know, smart, but you know, you can only you can only round that well a hundred, you know, enough times where you get really repetitious and there's a lot of shit. And mm-hmm. <laughs> like, although I guess he, I, I guess he's got a new movie coming out. No. Yeah, it's got something coming out of here. I, I I do want to see it, even though. <sighs> Is it gonna be Dracula? 3D? No, fuck. Oh my god, no way. Like, a couple couple more praying mantises in there, you know? Yeah, oh, fuck. oh my god. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't fuck. know. Yeah, no, fuck that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So unless you have anything else to say, I'll just uh, 
No, I think okay. I think we I think we got all our uh, yeah I think ducks we got in it. a row there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, releases. So yeah, Severin just came out with like the Blu-ray and DVD. So that's kind of like the preferred thing to go for at this point. Right. And it's on Google. It's on Google Play, Microsoft Store, Vudu, and mm-hmm. you can actually rent it on uh, YouTube right now. So and it's uh, and it's also on Tubi. It's on mm-hmm. Shutter. And it's on yeah. Shutter. If you so, if you re- if you're subscribed to Shutter, it's mm-hmm. you can get it through there, and you can watch it with commercials on Tubi. Yeah, so yeah. kind of is like oh, cool. And uh, okay, well, I'm going to go over these little trivia points. They're actually super gross, and so you know, <laughs> trigger warning anyone out there. Uh, Amanda Sandrelli originally played the role of Maria Cannons, but Klaus Kinski forced the producers to fire her. They, they brought in Anne Kinched, uh, her her boyfriend visited so he uh but he for but like she came along and he forced producers to cast her i guess so she was kind of brought into the film just by accident and uh she eventually performed a nude sex scene of kinski for the film uh although i don't she don't don't think she quite expected as much uh, (laughs) uh, sex in the scene as uh kinski did uh, in the two vampire attack scenes, Klaus Kinski sexually assaulted Elvary Audrey and Barbara DeRossi. According to Luigi Cozy, the script called for Kinski to grab his victim and bite her on the neck. Instead, he charged at her like a wild animal, quote unquote, actually beat her up for real by like ripping off her clothes and undergarments and started biting her on the vagina, reportedly. Audrey uh, fled the set crying and Kinski maniacally screamed bitch at her as she ran off. Uh, afterward, Audrey understandably refused to do any more scenes with the crazed actor, which may explain why she disappears from the rest of the movie. And yeah, she's the first like main woman in this, and she just kind of like shows up at the end for a brief sequence. But mm-hmm. Kinsky also apparently manhandled DeRossi during the nocturnal love sequence and went beyond the call of duty. That's a weird way of fucking phrasing it. <laughs> by, that, that's not good at all. By ripping off her nightgown, fondling her crotch, and then squeezing her breasts very hard. Mm-hmm. Which you actually see on film, yeah. Which just, yeah, it's gross fucking fuck. weird as hell. Mm. It's just the the things that came out afterwards about what he possibly did to his kids and stuff. Like, well, possibly is his, his, his pro- second, probably did his first daughter. Mm-hmm. She wrote a whole book and said that he sexually assaulted her between the ages of five and nineteen. Yeah, this is like not not Natasha the the his. I forget his first daughter's first name. Although, um, uh, although I, I think Natasha Kinski kind of like hinted that yeah, he did some yeah. stuff to me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like after like like eight years after her father died, she wrote a book. Mm-hmm. Like this is like the same year that when uh, Herzog put out My Best Fiend, because um, I guess they felt there was enough time between his death to actually kind of bring this all up. Um, and she, yeah, she wrote in there as like a, like not a, like a, like a, like not a huge thing, but she definitely mentions it. Like between the ages of five and 19, he assaulted her a handful yeah. of times sexually. And it's like, but like, I think he even wrote in his memoirs, which have never been, I don't think they've ever been translated in the States, um, that he, that he had forcibly uh, uh, attacked, like he attacked his, one of his daughters in front of his wife at one time, like in front of his wife and his son at one time. Mm. Um, but no one ever could believe that because in his, in his autobiographies, it was a lot of people 
went through with like a fine tooth comb and kind of picked out the things that just wouldn't have fucking happened. And like, he couldn't have been there age wise and stuff like that. So it was a, it was a huge fabrication. So no one really believed it until his daughter actually came out and said it. Yeah. And I, I think Kins, I think Natasha Kinski sort of like said, yeah, he was a real fucking tyrant when, you know, when, when I was still around him and shit. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hate to bring the podcast down with this disgusting <laughs> shit, but I mean, it, it should be brought up. You know, this. Keep, I mean, keep... he's, a, like, he's a fascinating actor, mm-hmm. and the films that like you like the, that's the thing. Like a lot of people nowadays have this whole thing where they have to kind of they have to take they have to kind of take the person out of the work that they've done. Yeah, with Kinski, you have you 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 have to do that. You you regardless of who he is, it's just because so of all the stories. Because not yeah, this film, but all the films he's ever made. Because mm-hmm. it's it's hard to kind of take the man out of the out of the work because he was such a tyrannical asshole. Yeah. Um, that you have to like you have to be dedicated to be like, all right, I'm gonna watch this stuff even though I know he's a fucking complete piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, it's it's you know, it's not like Woody Allen where it's like, you know, he did this one thing, but you can watch the 40 years of films he's made and go, yeah, I can I can kind of over not overlook. You know what I mean? Like, like I can it, I can well, I can take I can take the man out of the work he's done. It's um, well, like the, the thing of Woody Allen, it's not on screen like it is in this film. Yeah, no, where definitely. like Kinski is just on screen assaulting women. Like, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's rank. Because it's just even when you see those scenes, you're like, oh. they just don't look good. Because it's like no. it doesn't even look like Kinski's enjoying himself. Like it's no. just so gross. Yes. Yeah. And like I said, he he has this face the whole time where he's just <laughs> he's yeah he's just yeah he just looks like he shit his pants and then fucking yeah. wipe for days and it's like <laughs> it's like it, it, he's just grimacing the whole time mm-hmm. and pissed off and you're like, how the fuck is this enjoyable for you as an actor? that you are not like getting anything out of it. He's just trying to grimace his way to his Paganini film. That's what yeah, he's trying to I'm do guessing. here. Yeah. Which is like, that's the, like, out of all the films I've ever read about him, it's like, I need to see that. And I just haven't been able to, I haven't either been able to wanted to plunk down the money for like a halfway decent DVD. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just waiting for like a company to like, find the way to get the rights and release it like it's like and i guess i guess the director's cut of that which is on the dvd that's out there yeah. isn't restored no but it's like pretty pornographic like it's yeah. it's him doing more of this shit basically uh, and then he yeah. would he would die what like three years later four years later 80, 91 yeah yeah heart attack at 65 mm-hmm. so yeah yeah, because the guy was a fucking, he was a big smoker, and he wasn't like you know fucking. If you if you look at him from like seventy eight, like yeah seventy eight seventy nine till now, the change in his appearance is fucking drastic. Mm-hmm. You know, he turns into a fucking troll. Like it's just, oh yeah, like a gargoyle. It's like it's it's amazing how how like just life just kicked him right in the tits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He, he looks like a halfway decent human being in the late seventies when he's working mm-hmm. with Herzog. And then like something just like happened health wise and it just went downhill fast. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll, we'll move along from, uh, from talking about this horrible person. <laughs> uh, 
Fuck, uh, Vaughn, it was yeah. an absolute pleasure having you on again, sir. It always awesome. is. We'll have you on again sometime soon for something. Cool. Uh, cool, cool, cool. But uh, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. Okay, so I run a podcast that's very similar to what Lee does, but it's not as smart. Uh, <laughs> it's called Motion Picture Massacre. Um, as, as, I've, as I've kind of retooling constantly, it's a esoteric uh, psychotronic cinema. So I, I kind of do everything and I don't particularly hold the time period. A lot of people do that where it's like, you know, up until the nineties or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of, if I watch something and I feel like it's worth talking about, I want to talk about it. Um, I'm it's that like how I, how I put it to some people who are like, Oh, like, especially like now that I have a girlfriend and they're like, Oh, you do a podcast. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm that guy who used to knew, used to know in high school who would tell you about every friggin' weird, crazy <laughs> film, um, and give you like a copy of like burn you a copy of a DVD and give it mm-hmm. to you and say, Hey, you need to watch this. That's my show. It's just like, like whatever the hell I'm watching at the time, I'm like, if it's worthwhile talking about it, I'm going to talk about it. Um, so if you want to find that, it's motionpicturemassacre.wordpress.com. Um, any kind of social, the best way to do it, Letterbox, Instagram, and Twitter is MP Massacre. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, uh, and it is a great podcast that you should be listening to. Um, I don't know what we're doing next. I kind of got an inkling that maybe I'm going to try to do the Wolfman next. Ooh. And and I'm in talks to do some other stuff uh, cool. with uh, with Brady from Solid Six uh, sometime nice. in the near future. Uh, but until then, you you will find out if you go to tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all of our links. You can go to our Facebook group. That's the best way to find out what's coming up. Uh, and until then, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Vaughn, for joining me. And thank you. We will be fucking back when we're fucking back. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. Thank you.